Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Please open your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 12. If you've got um, one of the church Bibles uh, behind uh, the rows of chairs there, I encourage you to get one if you don't. Romans chapter 12 is on page 948. I just want to begin by reading Romans 12, 9 through 13. I want to give you an overview of this small section here in the 12th chapter I believe it'll help put it into context, and I want to draw an important uh, truth implication from it. We're in the middle of verse 10 in our study, but I'm going to read the entire section here, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 down to verse 13, and here is what Paul wrote in those verses. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What I want to show you here is the outline or the structure of these verses. Begins in verse 9 with this propositional truth, this overarching summary statement. And that is that your love is to be genuine, meaning you're to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That's the overarching statement. And then what Paul does in verses 10 down to verse 13 is he gives nine nouns in the Greek. And it's significant the way that he gives those because the way that they're written in the the case, it's called in Greek, the case that they're written in, there is... The noun that comes first in the order, followed in all nine cases by the the description of that or what he's calling for. Now, let me state that in, in English with an illustration to try to explain that. So, today's the big game, right? Now, there's a couple of football players in here. You can watch the game today. So, let's get our game faces on for a second, and I'm going to use that illustration to explain the structure here in Romans 12, 9 to 13. It would be like the coach saying to his players, now, when you take the field today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to execute physically and mentally what we have been working so hard on the last month. Overall, overarching statement, summary statement, I want you to do your absolute best to execute 
physically and mentally what we have been working on the last month getting ready for this game. That's verse 9 of chapter 12. Then verses 10 and following, the coach saying, and here is the way that I want you to do that specifically. And he just starts to hit some things concerning blocking. And then he hits a key point about what they've worked on in blocking. And then with respect to rushing, he looks at his running backs with respect to rushing. Here's what I want you to do. And then he says, when you blitz, defensive line, when you blitz, here's what I want you to do. And When you return a punt. So... What he's doing there is he's explaining his overarching first statement. And what Paul does here is he makes this overarching statement in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And then he gives nine nouns, and they're written as if this was in front of each noun, concerning or respect to, like this. I'm going to read them to you. With respect to brotherly affection, here's what you need to do love. With respect to honor, here's what you need to do. Outdo one another. Concerning zeal, here's what I mean. Don't be slothful. In spirit, be fervent. In hope, be rejoicing. In tribulation, be patient. In prayer, be constant. In the needs of the saints, contribute. Concerning hospitality, seek it out. Pursue it. It's the way that is structured. Overarching statement, verse 9, and then these nine nouns and the statement on how they need to carry them out. And what we're going to look at is the second half of verse 10 and verse 11 today, a couple of these statements. But here's what I want to show you with the structure. It's important, I believe, to see that structure because... What he is pointing out here is that in the way that these nouns are written is that I want you to do these nine things based upon what I said in verse 9. They are the things in verses 10 to 13 have a preface to them and it's verse 9. And then here's the other truth. Verse 9 has a preface. Here's really the point. Verse 9 says, your love needs to be genuine. You need to be followers of Christ, sons and daughters of God, who love genuinely by abhorring evil and holding fast to good. And how is it that we get that done? Or why is it that we should do that? And the answer is verse 1 and 2 Therefore, by the mercies of God, here's what you need to do. By the mercies of God that I've talked to you about for 11 chapters, Paul says, opens up chapter 12, based upon what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ, here's what you need to do in light of those mercies. There's only one right response in life, and that's this. You need to live a life of worship to God, verse 1. Everything that you do needs to be about worship to God, verse 1. And here is what that means, verse 2. You need to have a life that's being transformed 
transformed on a regular basis by the renewing of your mind. Taking the truth of God into your mind and then it going from your mind by the work of the Spirit into your life so that you flesh it out. That's the way you live a life of worship. You are continually renewed in your mind so that you're transformed in your life so that you live lives of worship. That's the only right response to the mercies of God that are yours in Jesus. And that's why, verses 1 and 2, that's why you should, verse 9, be living lives of genuine love that abhor evil and cling to good. That's why you should live that kind of a life. That's why, verses 10 and 11 today, that's why your love should be genuine. Let me just read verses 10 and 11. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's what we talked about last week. That phrase right there. Love one another with brotherly affection. Remember what we talked about? We use that to really kind of get a little personal. And I ask you to consider who your Christian nemesis was. Who are those brothers and sisters in the Lord that you know that seem to have it as their agenda in their life to make your life miserable? To get those people in view and listen to what Paul says, he says, love them with brotherly affection. And that word in the Greek is just like you'd love your biological family, that's how you're supposed to love them. So not only are you to act a certain way towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're not to do it white-knuckling it saying, man, I don't really want to do this, but I know I'm supposed to do it, so I'm going to do it. No, you're supposed to genuinely love them impossible for you to just make your feelings that way. But what we talked about is how the Spirit works in us to change us to actually love those that are unlovely to us. And then we come to the second half of verse 10, and the instruction is this. In addition to loving one another with brotherly affection, here's what you need to do. Outdo one another in showing honor. So let me talk about that for a minute. The word here for honor, it's a pretty incredible word. The etymology of that word, the history of that word in the New Testament day, it meant this. And it's, by the way, it's different than the first half of verse 10. It's different than affection. It's different than you feeling the right way. What it means here to honor is that you honor refers to you treating someone in a way that shows that they're worthy of your service. To act toward them in a way that shows that you believe that they are worthy of your service. And so here's the actual Greek meaning of the word. It's a word that was used to speak of evaluating an object to determine what value that object had. And then, after evaluating it closely, to make a fixed determination, here is what that item is worth. That would be like an appraisal, right? To check it out, look at it closely, evaluate what that item is worth, and 
place a fixed value on that item. When Paul says honor one another, that's what he's talking about doing. So just consider that. Let's run with that for a minute. You're to honor one another. You're to consider one another closely to evaluate what is the value of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me ask you a question. How do you figure that out? Who has the answer to the value of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Who knows that answer? God knows that answer. He's given us the answer. So let me give you a couple truths about the value of your brothers and sisters in Christ, even your spiritual nemesis, okay? Just a couple, I could give you many more than I'm going to give, but let me just give you a few. First of all, consider who they are. Here's some statements from the Creator who made them that has made a statement about their value. First of all, they're created in God's image, Genesis 1.26. We could just stop right there and close the book and go home and say, wow, there's enough evidence right there that I should be honoring my brothers and sisters in Christ because they are intrinsically valuable beyond comprehension. They're created in the image of God. But let's go on. Because of redemption, because of being recreated at salvation, they are children born of God with an incorruptible seed. Immortal. Incorruptible. Children of God. Same Father as you have. The same Father that you have is evaluating their value, and He says the same thing about them as He says about you, child of God. 1 John 5.18, they're born of God, and the evil one does not touch them. Untouchable from the enemy. They are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. You say, what? wait a minute, no, they're not. They're right here. No, yeah, they are right here physically, but the reality biblically is that they are spiritually already seated at the right hand of the throne of God in the realms of heaven. The reason it says that way, because it's absolutely guaranteed that's where they're going. God has committed his self, his covenant to getting that done. That's actually how he sees them next. They're a royal priesthood. They're royal. I said, well, they don't sure act very priestly. Yeah, I know that. Look in the mirror, right? Look in the mirror. God has made the statement that they are royal priesthood. Here's another reality to that. They are temples of the Holy Spirit. Wow, the Spirit of the living God resides in them. How can you put a value on that? How could you... Give any estimation that would equal the intrinsic value of that statement. But that's who they are. Here's another one. They're joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Wow. The riches of Christ, they're going to share in for all of eternity. Guess what? That's a bunch of riches. And it's true of them. God has said it of them. They are God's workmanship. So what are you saying about God's workmanship by how you treat them? Are you honoring them? Do you see the intrinsic? That's really a statement about what you think about God, isn't it? 
if you stop and think about that, they're the workmanship of God. They're the light of the world. Matthew 5.14, they're ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, they're citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20, they're more than conquerors through Christ. Acts 8, Romans 8.37, they're going to reign with Christ and with you forever. That's just some of the things about what the Bible says about who they are. How about how they're loved? Well, they're chosen of God, Colossians 3.12. He chose them. Just like he chose you, God chose them. He loves them with an everlasting love. He loves them with an all-conquering love. He loves them with a transforming love. And he loves them, Psalm says, his thoughts of love are precious from him to them. And guess how many thoughts that is? More thoughts than exist on the shores of the earth, more than the grains of sand on the shores of the earth. That's the precious thoughts that God has toward them. Honor them. Look into the Word of God. See what the Word of God says about their value and based upon what their Creator has said, fix a value on them and then treat them the way that God has stated their value. Not what you see from your human, frail view, but what God sees and what God says. Treat them that way. Treat them with that value. And then look at what else he says about honor. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. That Word there in the Greek, outdo, means to go before, to lead the way, to prepare the way. It's got an emphasis of being first, like doing it first. Don't be someone that wants to be honored. Be one that is looking to honor, but not only that, to honor first, to kind of run ahead to prepare the way and get over here and get ready to show them honor, to be the first one to do that, to beat them to the draw, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what we're called to do, second half of verse 10. Here's the point. We need to have our minds renewed to think that way, don't we? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We have to learn to think about them the way God thinks, or it's going to be difficult to outdo them in showing them honor when from our perspective, so often they look very unworthy of honor. But what we need is a heavenly perspective. We need our minds renewed with what God has said because that's the authority, that's the truth, that's what's accurate. And so we need to get our minds renewed so that we see them rightly so that we will then be in a hurry to get ahead and prepare the way for them to be honored. That's what Romans chapter 12 verse 10b tells us to do. Now let's look at verse 11. Another way that our love is to be genuine. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So what is here, 
I'm just going to break this up into two sections. The first section has a negative and a positive statement. Here's the negative. Do not be slothful in zeal. The positive, be fervent in spirit. Really, I believe that's saying the same thing. It's giving you the negative side of the same truth and then the positive side of the truth. And the negative side is this. Don't be slothful in zeal. What is slothful? Slothful is to be lazy, to be idle, to be apathetic, to be lethargic, to not be eager and engaged, and then zeal. Don't be slothful in zeal. Zeal is eagerness. It's excitement. It's earnestness. It's activity. So here's the point. In your eager activity for the Lord, don't get slothful in it. Don't let your zeal for God wane. Don't get tired in serving the Lord. Here's a great verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Here Paul is explaining exactly this idea In Galatians 6, 9, he writes, Let us not grow weary in doing good. Right there is the phrase. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't be slothful in zeal. Don't lose your eager and earnest excitement to be serving the Lord. Don't lose it. Ladies and gentlemen, I... I think that this verse right here, the calling, the instruction of this verse right here is a verse that um, the American church, and I'm looking at Brad in the mirror when I say this, we so desperately need the application of this truth right here in our lives. Because we live in a society and in a culture where the opposite of that is fed us and pressed against us all the time that we would turn our attention on everything else but God, that in the midst of our affluence and comfort that we would be seeking to satisfy the desires of the flesh instead of seeking to keep our flesh stirred up and eager for God. That's the battle that we face every day. You see, the Christian life is not to be about this burst of speed and a sprint for about 50 yards and then kick back in the lounge chair on the sideline for two months and then another sprint for about 10 seconds and then a couple weeks of lounging. No, the Christian life is to be this constant growing intensity for the Lord. It's to be this continual, uh, long obedience fervently in the same direction. It's not to be gas break, gas break, gas break. No, it's to be pouring it on steadily like taking the throttle and just slowly increasing that thing over life. That's the picture. Don't be slothful in zeal. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. 
Here is the Christian zealot right here. Here's the guy right here. Listen to what he wrote, Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Paul's zeal never waned from the moment that he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's like he stoked a bigger fire of zeal throughout the rest of his decades of life and ministry. He just kept pressing on and pressing in and leaning forward and looking for that next inch, that next gain never lacking in zeal. Another great man of history, Charles Simeon. I think I've told you this a a few years back, but I just love this illustration. Charles Simeon is an incredible Christian leader uh, a couple hundred years ago. And he lived in a time where he had within his church, I'm talking in his own church for decades, not even years, decades, he faced unbelievable opposition. Unbelievable opposition. Like the denomination he's a part of, uh, the hierarchy, they, they chain off the pews. So people, when they came in, couldn't use the pews. And so what they did is they just filled in all of the aisles and along, the, just flocked in to hear him. But he just had this incredible opposition against him constantly over decades of time and toward the end of his life. A young man, another Christian leader, watching his life. He's now in his mid to late 70s, right toward the end of his life, said to Charles Simeon, as he watched him in his just unslothful zeal for the Lord, said, listen, why don't you slow down? I mean, if anybody deserves it, you deserve it. You've been pushing against this all of your life. It's time for some other people to take it on. You deserve to sit back and rest until the Lord takes you home. And I'm just paraphrasing here, but Charles Simeon says, listen, Listen, why in the world would I do that when I am right at the finish line? Why, when I am just ready to cross the line, why would I stop? Why wouldn't I throw myself and lean over the line, right? That's the way that we're to live this Christian life. That's why Paul goes on and he says on the positive side, be fervent in spirit. The word fervent here means to boil up. It's kind of like, you see, I'm doing right now. I'm kind of getting boiled up, right? It doesn't mean get angry. I'm not, don't think I'm getting angry here. But there's an excitement about the truth here. We need to get boiled up. We need to be hot. We need to be energized. We need to be eager for the Lord. Not passive. Not kicking back with our fire insurance card in our back pocket waiting for the day. No, we're to be fervent in spirit. So the word spirit here has the definite article in front of it. Meaning, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. 
So here's the way that this works. It's the Holy Spirit in you as a believer that as you follow him, learn from him, he will help your spirit to boil up with zeal and eagerness and excitement about being passionate for the Lord. And so here's what I think you have on both sides of this equation. You have in the do not be slothful in zeal portion, it's talking about you doing something here. It's talking about you being busy about doing the good things that you know to do. And then secondly, in the fervent in spirit, it means that you do those with passion, not out of compulsion, not grudgingly, but you really are passionate and eager about getting them done. And then we come to the third statement that really ties the first two together. You see, you're not just supposed to be running around with all kinds of energy doing good stuff. What you're to be doing is serving the Lord. You're to be doing whatever you're doing as a service to the Lord. What this gives us is it gives us both the what and the why. The what is... What we're to be doing is seeking in anything that we're doing to be part of the kingdom of God that's growing the kingdom of God. That's the what. And the why is because you're serving Christ in it and he's worthy of it. He's worthy of every ounce of your enthusiasm and zeal. He gave it all for you. He never waned. He never flagged. He never slowed down. He never had a moment where he rested and kicked back and let somebody else do it. He got up and left the throne of heaven and came down and hit the ground running and never stopped until he ran and dove and embraced the cross for you and me. That was the story of his life. And he says, here's what you need to do. Serve me with all that you've got. Serve me with all of your zeal. Be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. He's worth you doing that. Let me show you a contrast here. Contrast kind of two sides of the coin here to show you how serious this is, how needed this is in our Christian American culture. Listen to what Jesus says about lukewarm Christians. Revelation chapter 13, 15 and 16. Listen to the force and the strength of the words that he uses here. It is shocking. It's shock. It's totally shocking. Jesus says, Revelation 13, 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, he feels pretty strongly about lukewarm Christianity, doesn't he? Man, I wish that you were cold rather than lukewarm. The middle ground, I don't like. Paints a really bad picture. It's a dishonor to Christ. 
If you're out and you say you're out, never claim to be in, that's cool. That's one thing. But to say you are and then just live haphazardly for Christ in the midst of that, that's an insult. Here's the other side of the coin. What does God's Word say about wholeheartedness? What does God think about wholeheartedness? Luke chapter 10, verse 27. I'm going to get these quickly here. Jesus answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. All heart, all soul, all strength, all mind. What's left? That's about it. That's the comprehensive picture. That's everything right there. Give it all for Christ. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. I love this verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. Wow, what a cool picture. Here's God who can see it all, right? His eyes are scanning the earth. And what is He looking for? He's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to Him. He wants to find them. Why? Because when He finds them, He wants to pour His power into them and show Himself strong through their life. He's just longing to find that kind of a heart, that kind of a life. And then in Jeremiah chapter 29, 13 Jeremiah, speaking for the Lord, says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. God wants wholeheartedness. He doesn't like lukewarm Christianity. The only proper response, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the only proper response to the mercies of God, what He's did for us in Jesus, is that we would be not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, Serving the Lord. So let me close with this. How did Paul do that? How did Paul, this unwavering, intensely zealous, eager, unstoppable Christian, how did he keep that white hot Zeal for God stoked up. I'm just going to show you three verses. There's a lot of answers we could give here, but I just saw three different things in three different verses here when Paul is talking about his labor, his tireless labor for the Lord. Here's the first one, Romans chapter 15, verse 18. What we're getting here, what we're looking at here is how to make an application here. If I need my heart stirred up in zeal for the Lord. If I look and I see that it's waning, that it's flagging, that I'm getting slothful and lazy and idle and apathetic, and I don't like that, it can't be. How do I stir the fires? How do I get the heat fired up? Romans 15, 18, Paul writes, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, to obedience by word and deed. Here's what Paul is doing here. He's doing it really humbly. He's giving all the glory to Christ, but he's saying Christ is doing some incredible things through my life. Do you see that? He's done incredible things, and I'm telling you about them of how he's used me to take this gospel to the Gentiles and see so many thousands of them saved. So here's the point. One of the ways to get your zeal stirred up is this. Believe 
that God will use you. Now, let me kind of work into that with three statements. Number one, that includes this, but it's more. It includes believe God can do it. Now, we would all say, believers here, I'm sure, yeah, God can do anything, right? God can do it. Here's the second part. Believe God will do it. Well, that's a little tougher. Well, yeah, God's got a plan and a will. All of us, God's will is accomplished every time. So, yeah, God will do what He's going to do. But here's the, here's the kicker. Believe God will use you to do it. That's the difference. Paul is saying here, look what God has done through me. And who was he? Who was Paul in Paul's opinion? Let me give it to you. The chief of, say it church, the chief of sinners. Paul said, I am the worst of the worst. But look what he did through me. Can you believe it? Look what he did through me. Kept him fired up because of what God would do through him. Secondly, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul writes, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may prevent, present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. So he does the same thing here. He gives glory to Jesus. It's all the power of the Spirit of God doing it. But look at what he says. Paul says, I'm living every day for the final day. I'm living all of my days down here on this sphere, doing my job in zeal, because here's what I want. One day, I want to make a presentation to my Lord. And what do I want to present him? I am working, he said, to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what I'm toiling for. That's what I'm struggling for with the energy of God in me. So here's the point. Paul is living for the greatest cause. A, he believes that God will use him, and B, he's found the greatest thing that God wants to do, and he says, here's what I'm giving my life to, this right here, right here. I am going to give my life to the things that will help people grow in Christ's likeness so that they can stand before the Lord mature and complete. Listen, plan of God for every follower of Jesus is Christ-likeness. That is guaranteed from Scripture. Paul says, that's what I'm giving my life to right there. That's the will of God. That's what I know God's doing. That's what I'm working at. Now listen, you say, well, Pastor Brad, yeah, Paul could do that. You could do that. You're in ministry. (laughs) Whatever you do, you can be about that. Let me change that. Whatever you do, you should be as a Christian about that. You can paint the wall, or you can dig the ditch, or test the soil, or draw up the plans, or be the housewife and the mother. Whatever it is that you do, you can do that as in service to the Lord. Colossians 3, 24, 25. Everything that you do, you go at it 
wholeheartedly giving your best like the Lord was your boss right there, the one paying your paycheck. And as you do that, you're looking for ways to come alongside of people and show Jesus to them and share Jesus with them. That's the way you do it right there. You give all that you've got to what God has given you to do, put right before you. And as you do that, you're an example of the person of Jesus in the way you talk, in the way that you live, what you say, how you act toward others, how you relate. And the light of Christ shines and you come alongside of people and you help bring them to Christ or grow them up in Christ by that kind of a life. So A, believing that God will use you mightily will help stir up your zeal. B, living for the greatest cause will help stir up your zeal. And then C, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul writes, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Here it is. Third point, Paul is saying, I am doing what I'm doing because I am captivated by the grace of God. It shocks me. It's like this torch that's on my spirit all the time that makes me white hot. I don't ever get away from it. Every day I make sure that I keep before me the reality of what God did for me in Jesus. I meditate upon that. I focus on that. And that grace just keeps the fires burning white hot. I never lose the wonder of it. I'm shocked all the time as I see more and more the incredible reality that God went to a cross for me. God went to a cross for me. I'm saying that to Brad. God went to a cross for me. For me. And to keep that grace of God before me all the time. It never should be on beyond that. No, you won't be beyond that for eternity. You'll be in increasing awe and wonder of that one truth throughout all of eternity. So start getting a growing wonder of it right now because it'll keep your zeal fired up for the Lord But it's a battle. You're going to have to fight that. You're going to have to fight against lethargy and apathy and idleness and slothfulness in your zeal. You're going to have to do those things that we've talked about so that the Spirit of God will use those to blow on the fire and the embers in your life so that it gets white hot for the Lord and stays that way. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Father, God, I give to you, Lord, the 
the meditations of my heart and the thoughts of my lips. Let them be pleasing in your sight. Do what you want to do here, Lord. Help us to see you, Jesus, in greater and greater clarity. You, the perfect life, the life of absolute fervency of spirit who for the joy set before you endured the cross scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God God have your way in us fire us up and help us to work toward that end as well fanning into flame that fire through the means of grace that you've provided for that to happen in the name of Jesus I pray amen